0: This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. We are joined by Daniel Santangeli, and I hope I've got the pronunciation of
1: your name. Uh, right? Pretty is close, it? Santangeli.
0: Santangeli, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, who is the program manager of the Midsummer Festival, which starts in January, and he's with us right now. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for being here.
1: <laughs> yeah, a um, pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: Daniel, I've got the first question. Midsummer, wow, it began as Gay Day in the late seventies, early eighties, and it's kind of morphed into the huge festival that it is today. What can you tell us about Midsummer's origins?
1: So I, yeah, I was thinking about this before I walked in, and I, re- I really think that the the history of Midsummer is actually that the history of queer culture in Victoria, and that I think what's amazing about Midsummer is that it actually is one of the few moments where. Melbourne and Victoria's diverse queer communities actually come together and that and you actually have a a three-week period where you're actually able to kind of see all the different kind of queer arts and cultures that exist that are all quite different and unique depending on how different artists identify. Um, I think the history of Midsummer is that it it started in the late 70s as a big picnic in the park. And I really honestly think it was just genuinely some, you know, some people who were like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we, you know, Sydney's got Mardi Gras, wouldn't it be great if we just had a picnic? Because it was a
2: risque thing in the late 70s to do that because we didn't have gay and lesbian law reform then.
1: Exactly. And I think that's the something that I often forget because it's in one way making queer art in the current context is a, a lot easier in compared to what it would have been like in the 70s. And so I think the the level of risk that people took And I also think what it came from is a need for people to build their own social spaces as well. You know, I'm aware that there weren't very many clubs and a lot of parties and a lot of social events came out of this need that people were like, we actually don't have anywhere to go to meet our you know queer friends, mm. so what do we what where do we go? what do we do oh we'll, we'll we'll make a picnic. We should have an organization that helps make this picnic happen every year, mm. and then from there just year after year, it just got expanded and got bigger and bigger um at some point in uh, midsummer's history, it became an open access festival. so what the organization did was it said, "Well, if anybody wants to produce their own event, whether it 's an exhibition or a theater show, you can register your event as part of the festival we'll make a program." And and then you can be part of the festival in those three weeks. And so now the festival has kind of grown to a festival that's 170 events plus some. And, uh, and most of them are produced by the queer community here in Victoria and from across the country as well.
0: I've heard the Midsummer folk refer to what, what you guys have called it, queer culture making and um, mm. the importance of that. Could we talk about that for a moment
1: yeah, it's um, I, the one of the things that's unique about Midsummer as a festival is that it's not just artists that are part of the festival. We also have people who produce sports events. So we have Team Melbourne who are a part of Carnival, and they also produce their um, Team Melbourne Sports Festival Day as well as part of the festival. And there are things like there's rowing as part of the festival, there's um, psych, like people go out on bicycles and go on day trips. And so I think there's this idea that um, as, yeah, as queer makers that we actually are forging our own culture as well and not just making art that sits inside someone else's kind of cultural space.
0: Mm. Would something like Midsummer be at the forefront of something like this?
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think if you kind of compare Midsummer to, say, Mardi Gras, I mean, Mardi Gras has the bigger parade, uh, and it's definitely more colourful and more famous. <laughs> but what Midsummer has is has a an incredibly large amount of queer culture makers that are part of it that are producing new work or producing work that they've been doing for you know the same the same thing for the last thirty years, and it's you know something that is a you know a jewel in the in the festival. Right.
2: I've got to ask you: there's a lot of jewels in Midsummer. What's mm. your favourite for 2018? I know it's a big ask but there must be something that you're personally really looking forward to seeing or being a part of
1: yeah so this year midsummer's changed tact a little bit so we've got our open access program but then we also realized that there were some events that were that were kind of missing from the festival or some queer communities that were just that weren't registering as part of the Open Access Festival. So one event that I'm helping produce is called the Cocoa Butter Club, and I would have to say it is one of my favourite events. So the Cocoa Butter Club is this event that happens about every six months, and we're doing a, a Cocoa Butter Club Midsummer Special. And what that night is is a night for queer and trans people of colour um, and queer Indigenous people on stage and in the audience. And this one this year it's going to be at, uh, at Art Centre Melbourne, It's hosted by um, Nayuka Gori, who people might know as one of the writers of Vice and Junkie, Davy Thompson, who's a Circus Oz performer. And it features Mojo Juju, which is really exciting. People who don't know Mojo Juju, um, they're an incredible singer, funk, soul, kind of urban, constantly reinventing themselves. And we also have, a um, as part of Cocoa Butter Club, and this performance I'm really excited about, is um, uh, Krista Harrington, who's a... um, That's their drag name. um, And they're a deaf drag performer. So their performance, um, rather than doing lip sync, they incorporate Auslan as part of their drag performance. So there's... I think the Cocoa Butter Club, the, the previous events I've been to, iterations I've been, it has gone off, like the audio, the energy in the audience is electric, mm-hmm. um, and so this is a bit of a, a best of the Cocoa Butter Club. So, some people um, who have been before will see some familiar acts, and and then some uh, new additions as well.
0: Mm. One of the events you have, it's, it's geared toward rainbow families. Yeah. So, uh, the importance of including, or how important is it for you that children and rainbow families are included in in Midsummer's Festival?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think rainbow families have always existed, but I think they've definitely come, um, there's definitely more of them now as people realise that that's something that they are allowed to do and entitled to have a family of their own. And there's a lot more visibility as well. But um, there aren't a lot of place spaces for queer families to kind of gather and go. So um, we've, we're doing two different things for queer families this festival. At Midsummer Carnival, we're introducing a brand new Families Pavilion, which will have activities for kids where they can face paint adults, which will be kind of fun, and also <laughs> make their own kind of family portraits as well. And that will um, help activate and give something to all those queer and diverse families that come to Carnival. And then also at Art Play um, during the festival as well. Art Play is in, um, in Melbourne on the river. And uh, it's a space for kids and families, two to five-year-olds. And we're working with them to produce a, a creative play workshop for queer families. And so that will be their space and their time, to, their time to shine. That event's called Our Time to Shine. So that's quite exciting, that event. That's pretty
2: cool. So just looking at the bigger picture of the rainbow family, that huge LGBTIQ bit, how on earth do you kind of get the balance right, especially politically, between all those bits of the rainbow family?
1: So, in terms of like... Keep everyone happy as well. Mm. Well, you'll never keep everyone happy, but I think what's... um, I mean, one of the things that I've learnt with Midsummer is that is that inclusion is at the heart of this festival and it's actually at the heart of what being queer is as well. And I think often what happens is sometimes when some people get their privileges and their rights, they go, well, I'm going to hold on to them and I'm not, to, I'm not going to share this with other people.
2: And that's one of the problems that many people in the community kind of say, that the inclusion gets a bit exclusionary sometimes and sometimes festivals kind of bear the brunt of that. So it's a balancing
1: act. Definitely, and I think at midsummer we talk about this idea of um, putting chair, more chairs around the table and not actually taking away chairs. So there are people that who have fought for their rights and um, have fought for the rights of the queer community, but we also need to make sure as well that we continue to make sure that people, and often people who have um, sort of double minority experiences, those um, intersections, those intersections, yeah, intersection, like the, yeah, people who kind of live um, with intersectionality as part of their experience, that we make sure that we actually don't sideline them and forget them, and that actually we um, support them to become. Um, queer culture makers.
0: So, One of the works uh, in Midsummer Festival is uh, it's called Black Magic. And Maddie Clark was supposed to be here with us today, but for personal reasons she couldn't be here. So can you tell us what Black Magic is about?
1: So um, Black Magic is an exhibition that we're co-producing with um, Incinerator Gallery in Mooney Ponds. And um, this exhibition is uh, about – it's focusing on the idea of decolonising sex and gender. And so what Maddie Clark as the curator is really interested in is this idea of, well, how do all this question of, we know that Christianity and colon, and imperialism and colonisation, and like these particular forces, have actually um, transcribed onto Indigenous bodies, particularly queer Indigenous bodies, particular modes of um, history and ways of behaving. So Maddie's kind of really interested in, okay, well, how do we not just kind of decolonize history, but how do we decolonize the queer body? So this exhibition looks at how some different artists' um, kind of respond to that. Mm-hmm. So we have Peter Wapple's Crow, will be um, exhibiting. Um, oh, we, we know a- him, we yeah. love him. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And it's quite, uh, quite a lot of mediums it's explored through, right? So yeah, there's,
1: there's-, there's jewellery, um, installation, video, photography, painting, self portraiture. Yeah, it's quite, mm. it's quite an interesting mix. And um, that ex- um, exhibition also has a talk associated with it as well called Face First Nations Pride. And that'll be a really interesting kind of talk um, that will kind of help sort of investigate a little bit more in terms of some of the artists' ideas, some of Maddie's kind of rationale for curating the exhibition. I think what's really exciting about this exhibition as well is that it's Maddie's first like curated exhibition as well that Maddie's, Maddie's actually a writer and an academic. So I also think that's one of the really interesting, like exciting things for this exhibition is that it's somebody who's also stepping into a new realm Transcending.
2: as well. Transcending academia, that's got to be worth something.
1: Yeah, I know, right? That's a gold char- gold star and chocolate frog right there. Yeah.
2: Give us the dates for the festival and also where people can go to to, to check out the program.
1: I, I always forget to talk about this. So the dates of the festival are the 14th of January to the 4th of Feb. Um, If you go to midsummer.org.au, you can find the entire program there. Um, The festival opens on the 14th of January with Midsummer Carnival. In the middle of the festival is Pride March. And then it ends um, on the closing weekend with Midsummer Horizon, which is a big art party at the State Library. Oh, wow. art party? (laughs) Yeah, 170 events and about 50% of it is free.
0: Oh, okay, cool.
1: <laughs> Daniel jelly, thank you so much for joining
2: us this afternoon on In Your Face to talk about Midsummer. Best of luck with the festival; you'll be very busy, and uh, we're going to be doing quite a bit of Midsummer stuff in January, so that's something to look forward to.
0: Yeah, we're going right the way through. We are Midsummer Festival yeah. after no all. No rest for the wicked. No. Oh, really? <laughs> Speak for yourself. I will. Okay. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, we're playing Meryl. I think we're going to do Marilyn Manson now, right? Please do. Upside I down here Speaking of wicked people.
3: Of Smell the ash and sulfur. Talons of battalions. Scratch at the sky like black feathers. Scorpion eyes. I don't attract what I want.
0: down heaven. It is 426. You'll sing to In Your Face on 3CR with Yvette and James. And we have someone on the line.
2: Yes, indeed. Waleed Zaire is an asylum seeker on Manus Island and he joins us on the line. Welcome, Waleed. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's an awesome pleasure to have you on the program.
4: Yeah, thank you so much. uh, Hi, Waleed. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk.
2: Waleed, tell us about your journey from your home country to Manus.
4: Yeah I came I uh, uh, fled Afghanistan mm, uh, through India and then like Indonesia and then to uh, Christmas Island I had to flee I Af- uh, fled Afghanistan uh, because uh, Taliban had threatened my life uh, because of my work uh, in a US army base uh, for a construction uh, a supervisor for a construction company so I had to flee yeah, and I have to leave my country. So, yeah, my journey was like, it was a hard journey, actually. I have faced too many problems uh, on the way as well, and I have no other way uh, to flee flee and uh, come to Australia by board.
0: You were recently moved from the Manus Regional Processing Centre. Where have you been moved to, Waleed?
4: Yeah, from the Regional Processing Centre, I have been moved to, one of the center in the town, which is called uh, West House um, uh, Transit Center. It's uh it's a called area, uh, Ward one, and it's uh, near to the Lorengo Town.
2: Well, what reason has the Australian government given you for keeping you on Manus?
4: Uh, actually, they are not like uh, talking. The Australian government is mean, like talking to us. They just send uh, PNG authorities to talk to us, whatever they want to say. But we know that it's from Australian government, so. Like they are saying to us that we came illegal to Australia by boat and after 19 July, who came to Australia, they are not allowed uh, to come into Australia. Like uh, if they like uh, want to talk to us, you would like to talk to the government. Like yes, after 19 July, like half of of my boatmates are in Australia. They ended up in Australia. So why I shouldn't? And like they say, you are illegal by boat, but we are not illegal seeking asylum in Australia is not illegal it's legal because australia has signed 1951 u.n convention yeah mm-hmm. so like anyone can come to australia by plane or by boat and can claim asylum so that's our answer but uh, government is not obeying their law and they are like breaching the women rights uh, as well so that's what they're telling us that we came illegally here and we had like a a contract with like uh, PNG, Papua New Guinea government, that uh, you will be processing, uh, process here uh, in PNG and uh, resettle in PNG.
0: Well, what are the conditions like at the facility you're in now?
4: Uh, where um, I am is, like I told you, it's called the West uh, uh, House, West Transit Centre. So here we have like the container rooms. They just put uh, some container rooms in the middle of the jungle. So we have problems with shower, with shower water. They just give us two two bottles of clean water a day or three bottles some Sunday. Some and we don't have a playground or we don't have a gym. We don't have a place to exercise. They just put containers and there are small, small pathways in between so we can go in here and there. And there are other lots of problems because we are not feeling safe here. Mm-hmm. It's in the middle of the jungle and the fences are really small. And uh, a week ago, like, there were, like, continuously for a few nights. The locals were coming. The drunk locals were coming. Uh, they had threatened us that uh, one of our, uh, like, you all may have seen the videos as well. Like, one of the guys came in, like, he was local, and he was threatening us that if you come out, he will kill you. So, like, we are so worried about uh, those things as uh, locals are getting more angry day by day. So mm. The West House is in the middle of the jungle. Near the hillside house, uh, in the hillside house there are uh, asylum seekers uh, uh, who are, like who didn't get the refugee status. So in the west house um, we are refugees, and in the east as well. So uh, so where I am is west, and it's really fear and like we most of the time we are not feeling safe here because it's not sick. it's in the middle of the jungle and there is no proper security and there are lots of problems in here.
2: Waleed, what would you like to do with your life if you were able to come to Australia?
4: If I ended up in Australia, I'd like to study first. Yeah, like um, I would like to study business because uh, if I see my situation and uh, the the situation of the world, like uh, the world will need my support and my especially my financial support and my family as well. My family needs my financial support as well because... Uh, They don't have anything just uh, to buy and put something uh, on the table for the dinner. So, yeah, I would like uh, to come to Australia. Uh, like uh, the money, the compensation money that I will get from uh, the government. Um, Yeah, so I want to use that uh, for a small business or open a small Afghan cafe. So I would like to help uh, stuff like uh, to homeless people in Australia as well. And like poor and orphans. So this was, this is one of my dream that I would, I would like to open an Afghan cafe and through that I could support uh, that I can and who needs my helping hand. So I would love to help poor orphans and homeless people. But that opportunity uh, until now has been stolen from me by Australian government, but I'm still hopeful and my hopes are still like alive and I I still hope that I will get to my dream soon.
0: Well, are there any signs that you're closer to being processed and settled somewhere? There are there are reports that the USA is a possibility.
4: Uh, no, I haven't been processed yet to any, any other country. Yeah, there are a few, like about two hundred guys on Manus out of six hundred, and some refugees. Uh, just two hundred, about two hundred, has finished their process for USA. And another about 230 or 40 people, they just had their first interview for USA. These interviews and process, uh, like it happened like to about three, four months ago, and it has been stopped until then. Until now, there it, it is no process for USA. There are no officials from USA came in these past three months, I think. So uh, maybe less or next long time, but I can say it. I think three months, there are no official came to Manu's. Uh, to continue the process and for me like about 200 people about 200 refugees or maybe 100 refugees they don't have any uh, interview for US or for other countries so, yeah, we are still waiting for that
2: Waleed what message would you give to those Australian people who don't want the men on Manus Island to come to Australia what would you say to them
4: that's a to them, yeah, because I would love to talk to them, and I just want to pass them to them that we are normal human beings as, like, you people. Yeah, we are just love to share. We are just fleeing, like, persecution from our countries, and we are just seeking freedom and peace in a safe place. And please, like, don't hate us. We are not, like, that, like, the, your government, uh, look, um, but like Peter Dutton has like telling about us to the Australian people that uh, these are economic refugees or uh, these are not like some of the time we have heard even that refugees are terrorists or some no we are people who just think freedom and peace and want to share love uh, with the secular society we are the welcome refugees. So our message is to them is for for them is that that please. Uh, Accept us. We don't hate uh, anyone. We have just love to share, and we will contribute to the community. And so, please, yeah, put uh, democratic pressure and be stand with us and stand for humanity. As we have heard for many times that Australia is one of the generous countries in the world. But from last four years, we have seen the inhuman things that Australia is doing, and all most of the Australians are quite. Yeah, there are some people who stand with us. We are so thankful to them as well. They always give us strength and power, and because of them, our hopes are alive. So, for those who are not standing with us, our message to them that please stand with us. Please stand for humanity.
0: Waleed, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us as well.
4: It's and,
2: been a um, great pleasure.
0: Yeah, and I did want to say it was more more of a comment than a question, but uh, some of the posts that you've been making on social media um, in the lead-up to Christmas time as well are really touching and um, how you haven't had a hug from your uncle or a kiss from your mum or a punch in the arm even from your brother. And, um, Uh yeah, I just...
4: Yeah. It's very moving. Yeah, so many things that we have lost. uh, uh, Like I would say, just give me a minute, like we have lost... uh, the ability to see our families, uh, neither the family we left or for many of us also not the family we were trying to reach. For some, that has meant not seeing their parents or siblings, mm-hmm. and but for others, it has meant not seeing their wife or their children. Uh, so, like I said, I haven't I had a punch in the arm by my brother or hug my uncle or kiss or my mom for four years. Uh, so there are many things that we have lost. We have lost the ability to work. We cannot use our skills and our abilities. We cannot earn money. And that fact has robbed us Robbed us, so many other things. So there are lots of things, if I would like to talk, <laughs> it would take too much time, but yeah, there are lots of things that we have lost. Uh, uh, and we are refugees, like, um, we all long for love. We have little smiles and hands, but... That opportunity has also been stolen from us, by the Australian government.
2: Well, lead. hopefully the Australian government will see the light, see some reason, because it would be a wonderful pleasure to meet you face-to-face and have yes. you come to Australia. So yeah. we really yeah, hope definitely. that that happens, yeah, and we you. will continue to push the government and encourage activists to lobby the government to bring you and other people from Manus to Australia. So thank you so much Thanks. for joining us.
4: Thank you so much. And uh, in the thank end, you. I will just pass one message from the uh, Australian government and then to the people who support her. Uh,
2: thank you so much.
4: Thank you to all of the. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much, all. Thanks, all. Thank Bye-bye. you.
2: <laughs> Wally Zazai there joining us from Manus.
0: Seriously, wow. Yeah. What a like, really. A special person he is.
2: And shows the human side of of refugees and asylum seekers, which, as he pointed out, has been so demonised by the Australian government Mm -hmm. uh, that many Australian people have kind of just been completely subjected to, I guess, bigotry and propaganda. Mm -hmm. So it was so wonderful to talk to him. And he's 21 to 5. You are on Mm -hmm. In Your Face on 3CR with Evit and James and we've got some more music.
0: We're going to play a song by Love because, like, I think Wally's all about love. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Won't somebody please Help me with my misery Can somebody see
0: the sundays skin and bones beautiful track it is 447 you're listening to in your face on 3cr with yvette and james and we have another person on the line with us
2: we do indeed katherine cramp is the co-chair of australian lawyers for human rights lgbtiq committee and she joins us on the line to discuss refugee rights through a queer lens welcome katherine
5: Hi, Hi thank you.
2: Catherine, what are the current legal options for the men dumped on Manus Island by the Australian government? What are their options to get off the island?
5: So this would be a question that applies to everyone, not just 30 or 40 you know, queer men on the island. Absolutely. Um, and that's they're in an incredibly vulnerable position and they're being denied all sorts of due process. The law becomes increasingly out of step with what we would normally see as transparent processes. Um, and it's really a moment in time where we're looking at different political options like having people go to America or um, I've really enjoyed seeing the New Zealand um, new government put pressure on Australia to take them or send them to New Zealand. That would be a really excellent option and it's only for political reasons that that's not being acted
0: upon. Catherine, legally speaking, how has the Australian government been able to stymie New Zealand's offer to take 150 refugees or asylum seekers currently seeking to stay offshore?
5: Yeah, so I guess with an offer from another country, um the the issue for people who are in Papua New Guinea is that um there's negotiations between Australia and Papua New Guinea. So it's it's less a matter of uh, you know what laws in Australia are applying, but the political tensions um and deals between those two countries that prevent a third party stepping in. So yeah, I would love to see a lot more political pressure being applied that the Australian government does make an executive decision to allow that, or better yet, to bring them to Australia.
2: But there's no legal impediment, is there? I mean, technically, New Zealand and PNG could cut out the middleman, which is Australia. Uh, as you say, it's political. It's not, there's no legal impediment, yeah?
5: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So these are people who've come through under the Australian scheme, um, and, and we could release them and process them um, through, that, through the New Zealand scheme really easily.
2: How would you describe the Australian government's attitude to people seeking asylum in Australia due to persecution because of their sexuality or gender identity?
5: Yeah, so I guess one of the interesting ways to look at this is through um, different cases that have come through the appeals tribunal. So you've seen lots of refusals happen and people then put in their application um, onshore and they can apply through the administrative appeals tribunal to challenge what was made in the original decision. Um, It's actually only 20% of cases for queer refugees who succeed and the questions that get asked are completely ridiculous and there's a lot of outrage about why they would put um, really stereotypical questions um, to different people who are seeking asylum and the, the assessment of whether or not they're actually queer and therefore, are in danger if they get sent back to a country you know such as Iran, where there's the death penalty. Um, can be about pop culture or what gay bars they attend in their local area. Mm-hmm. And if someone you know is not well established in the community, that's not the sort of activities that they engage in. Well, I wouldn't, going I wouldn't imagine
2: there'd gay bars in Afghanistan, for example.
5: Yeah. <laughs> so when when you come to Australia and you've spent you know maybe a year in the community waiting for your application. Um, there's, there's all sorts of ridiculous pressures to collect evidence that would meet Western stereotypes about what a gay person does in order to meet the expectations of that tribunal member who is not well versed at all in getting credible evidence as to a person, um, discussing, you know, their relationship and all those sorts of things.
0: Roughly how many people a year are granted asylum or refuge in Australia due to their sexuality?
5: Um, i actually don 't have figures on that specifically, but um, it 's not particularly high and I think when you see you know from a two thousand and three study there was there was only twenty percent of people who were actually succeeding. Um, you can see that systemically something 's wrong with the questions being asked to set people up to fail in that way and You've seen cases go through to the High Court where, you know, Justice Michael Kirby has criticised the content of the questions. People were asked about, you know, their knowledge of Madonna uh, and completely inappropriate stereotyping questions because <laughs> tribunal members just don't understand um, how they could get evidence to say that this person is gay. What? And that's I, just a matter I, of poor sorry. training that could be done quite easily. That's, I'm, quite, I'm shocked by that.
0: Really?
2: Madonna?
5: Yeah, it's is it's so embarrassing to think of. It that is embarrassing that being applied yeah. in a legal institution.
2: But, How would you rate the Australian government's response to the crisis in Chechnya, where there's been state-sanctioned torture and imprisoning and um, executions of queer people?
5: Yeah, I mean it's appalling. We haven't actually heard a substantial position come out of the government. Julia, Bush, um, Julia, Bush was very quiet on this, and there was no tangible action being taken. So. If we wanted to be charitable, we would assume that there are background discussions happening. Um, but I think until an Australian is affected, my criticism tells me that the Australian government won't be actually involved in any way. Um, and that's just really unfortunate to see. At least applying public pressure would be beneficial in this situation. But you've seen activists that come from countries like Canada, where they've actually um, invested money in travelling to Chechnya to help people who are needing to seek asylum help them escape so it's already affecting quite a few different countries and the australian government really has not in any way made a public response that is sufficient to actually help anyone
2: we're also seeing persecution of queer people in indonesia especially in Aceh, where glbti human rights are basically non-existent how would you rate the australian government's response to what's happening in indonesia
5: um, I guess there's, there's two ways you can see that as well. One is from the foreign policy perspective, I guess what's happening in another country. But in terms of applicants who are trying to stay in Australia, um, you know, there one example would be um there have been applicants who are transgender whose gender is not legally recognized in Indonesia. Um, it's dangerous to live in some sections of the country, but because it is safe to live in some cities, even though you wouldn't be able to travel freely throughout the country, your chances of success are extremely low. So you're actually geographically limited in the country that you live in, but you still don't qualify under Australian law.
0: What are the countries that um, the queer people are, are predominantly coming from uh, to granting asylum in or refuge in Australia?
5: Yeah, so in a way that this this also just relates to the general flow of population um, in, in refugee situations, so... Uh, about 10 years ago, you'd see lots of people coming from Afghanistan and Iran, uh, and that's that's still commonly the case. And because it is illegal to be gay in Iran, you, it's the death penalty there, um, you do still have quite a few of those people coming through. So there, there are cases now that are waiting for a decision, and they've been waiting for more than two years um, just to find out if their decision will be successfully appealed, and if not, they face being returned to a country with where they've already been tortured, they've already been um, imprisoned, but not actually sentenced, um, and then could be sentenced to death.
2: What's the Australian government's record like in terms of sending people back to countries where they would face the death penalty uh, because of their sexuality? Have we have we knowingly done that recently? or um, in so the last I haven't few seen years?
5: any cases come through the media in relation to sexuality, but we have refouled people. So under, under international human rights law, um, you're not allowed to send somebody back to a country where they could um, face persecution for anything that applies under the International Refugee um, Covenant. So we've already done that under the Abbott administration, and there was, a, um, there was a really excellent piece of journalism that followed a particular asylum seeker who was returned um, to Afghanistan, and within four weeks of returning, he disappeared and lost contact um, with the Australian journalist who was following his story. Um, so right. there, there have that, been cases yes. now. We've yeah. So there've already been cases where we have returned people um, to countries where they face persecution, and we have gotten around the legalities of that by declaring that they've never officially landed in Australia because the government changed the law to say um, everywhere in Australia the ordinary laws do not apply if you're a boat arrival. Um, different laws apply to you. So the which excising
2: is, of um, of the Australian territories, yeah. is that what that's linked to? The
5: entire Australian mainland. It was at first Christmas Island and then the entire of Australia. So if you think about that for any other situation, if you said a person living in Brisbane, the law of Australia does not apply to them because we're pretending that they didn't actually um, engage in activities on that piece of territory, that's outrageous and ridiculous. And in this situation, people have come to accept it because of the public rhetoric around bird rifle.
0: Catherine, what do you think it will take now for the Australian government to bring refugees, such as those on Manus, to Australia?
5: Um, well, I think it's not going to be a matter of the government hearing about events that happen to refugees. I think it's going to be about um, public perception changing enough that we undermine why the government is doing this. So we've already had situations where, um, according to an Amnesty International report on children who have been in detention, um, that they no longer respond to their names, they respond to a boat number. Uh, and they will have cognitive function impairment for the rest of their life because the conditions are so poor and they're so little schooling that they're actually not developing at the rate of normal children. So, so they will suffer throughout their lives because of the treatment the Australian government has provided. So I think rather than you know, seeing worse things happen um, in terms of how refugees are being treated, we need to see action happening where people go out of their way to contact the government, to contact the media who frequently share stories that um, don't help this campaign to say, actually, we should be focusing on how much this is a violation of human rights and how much we wouldn't tolerate this if this were an Australian um, person in, say, a Bali prison. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of impetus on us as members of the community to to contact the government and to be active. Mm -hmm.
2: Catherine, your work is fantastic. We are so grateful that we have Australian lawyers for human rights looking out for refugees, including queer refugees and refugees who have all sorts of, you know, huge issues around persecution and human rights in their country of Mm. origin. And unfortunately, they have more issues because of the Australian government's abuse towards them. So we're so grateful for your work and thank Mm. you so much for joining us today on 3CR. It's much appreciated.
0: Thank you very much. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.